You're listening to the Design Engineering Podcast, where we explore topics important to Canada's mechanical engineers, product designers, and machine builders. I'm Mike McLeod, editor of Design Engineering Magazine, and in this episode, I interview award-winning Canadian business economist Jason Myers, who serves as CEO of NGEN, the industry-led, non-profit organization that shepherds Canada's advanced manufacturing supercluster. During our conversation, Jason discusses Canada's manufacturing supply chain, the challenges it faces, and an initiative led by Martin Ray, ThinkData, and Palantir to leverage artificial intelligence to make the supply chain less susceptible to disruptions like the COVID pandemic. But before we jump in, a few words from this episode's sponsor, IGUS. IGUS engineers and manufactures self-lubricating, maintenance-free plastic components for moving applications in nearly every industry. IGUS also offers flexible cables and durable plastic cable carriers guaranteed to last up to 36 months. Visit IGUS.ca to learn more. With that, let's get into the interview. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the Design Engineering Podcast. Yeah, thanks very much, Mike. Good to be here. So uh, just for anybody who doesn't know who you are, if you could give sort of a brief uh, introduction for yourself and, and the organization that you represent. Sure. I'm uh, uh, the CEO of Next Generation Manufacturing Canada, or, or NGEN. We're the industry-led, not-for-profit organization that is leading Canada's advanced manufacturing supercluster. So we're focusing on building world-leading advanced manufacturing capabilities in Canada and uh, building a world-class workforce and world-class manufacturing management capabilities particularly on the part of smaller companies that need to uh, manage some pretty treacherous waters today in manufacturing. And your own background is, is extensive in, uh, in Canadian manufacturing. And you previously led the, the CME, the uh, Canadian Manufacturers and Exporters Association. Yeah, that's right. I, uh, I was the uh, CEO of uh, CME uh, for about nine years and uh, left CME because I thought there were some really great opportunities to actually support uh, innovation in, uh, in manufacturing. So uh, one of the uh, initiatives that uh, came out of that was the, uh, the award of the Advanced Manufacturing uh, Supercluster funding from uh, uh, the Canadian government in 2018. Mm-hmm. I, uh, we've spoken with others from the organization. Um, you know, the sort of matchmaking that you guys do it's, you know, you, you have your fingers in, in a lot of different areas of the manufacturing community that may not necessarily know about each other. And, and it's, so it's not so, just the funding, it's also sort of the matchmaking, you know, and stuff. Oh, this person has a problem that I heard somebody else had a solution for. Why don't we bring them together or three parties or more, or it's an interesting sort of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's really why we came together in the first place. I mean, nice to have the money to support projects, but the most important thing is let's raise awareness about all these fabulous uh, manufacturing, but also research and technology assets we have in Canada. They're often our best kept secrets uh, across the country, but we do have world leading research in a lot of areas that are applicable to manufacturing. We have a really vibrant technology sector uh, that is developing and um, uh, and providing access to a variety of advanced technologies, everything from uh, digital to um, materials to 
you know, advanced production technologies, uh, all available here in Canada, uh, mainly from small small tech providers, and uh, and we have manufacturers that are looking today to how do you add value, how do you uh, improve operations, uh, how do you how do you put in place processes that, uh, frankly, differentiate yourself from from your competitors. So our, our thought was, first of all, uh, wouldn't it be great if we could combine and leverage all of those strengths to do something that is really uh, world leading? And, and that's so, so that's what we're doing. We start with, let's uh, identify and promote our capabilities. Let's um, uh, connect, uh, you know, sort of introduce uh, companies, uh, experts to each other across this big, uh, this big sector across the country. And then let's focus on seeing where we can build collaborative initiatives that are that do lead to world leading capabilities. And I think that's the other part of our secret sauce, I guess. Look, um, in my experience, manufacturers don't really want to buy technologies. Uh, they want solutions. And, um, and often get into problems when they think that they can solve their problems by just bringing in one technology. Because today, what you need is an integrated engineering solution that manufacturers can manage. So that usually involves a number of different types of technologies. And that's where the opportunity is to bring together a number of smaller tech companies, uh, help them scale up by providing them a capable an oppor business opportunity that they wouldn't otherwise have on their own uh, and building uh, really unique solutions in manufacturing that allow manufacturers to, uh, to compete uh, with the best of the world. And, and, and not only that, but to actually manage the implementation of those, of those tech solutions. So where we're focusing our funding is really on the demonstration, the scale up, the pilot, the testing of these tech solutions and the development, of course, of the tech solutions, but, but really the proof of the solutions in manufacturing, in a manufacturing environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, a, that's kind of a gap in our innovation system and, uh, and a really important one uh, that we found really important in, in being able to deliver uh, uh, world-class uh, world solutions to Canadian, uh, Canadian companies. And the other thing we do, of course, is, um, is a whole set of, of uh, activities that are aimed at building a better workforce uh, for advanced manufacturing, beginning with, uh, with students, um, you know, looking at uh, attracting young students into advanced manufacturing careers. And this is where our Careers of the Future uh, campaign, careersofthefuture.ca, uh, it comes in because what we're what we're really focusing on is uh, intri you know the the perception of manufacturing is still outdated on on the part of students but even more so on the part of parents and uh, and teachers mm -hmm. and so we're we're making the case uh, that you know if you really want an exciting career and really want to make a difference in the world well advanced manufacturing is the place to do it and you'll be working with all sorts of neat technologies and you'll be able to continue. Uh, doing what you like to do now. If you like playing games, well, come on and play with virtual reality and augmented reality and, and digital twins. And if you like uh, uh, making things, if you like uh, fixing things, well, whole area of skilled trades, but you'll be working with digital tools in order to do that. So yeah, it's, that's an exciting uh, part of what we're doing. And, 
We're also supporting a number of uh, indigenous um, manufacturing entrepreneurship programs across the country, hmm. and and also focusing on on reskilling employees uh, to give them the digital skills they need to work in advanced manufacturing, work with all these these new technologies, and then also looking at, at how do we improve manufacturing management uh, because uh, uh, you know we've got there's no not only in Canada. Uh, but worldwide, uh, you know, the, the reports are that 80%, 75-80% of, uh, of transformation projects uh, initiated by manufacturers fail. Uh, and, and according to our research, we've, we've looked at companies that are investing in new technology. And when we asked, did you achieve your business objectives, uh, over half say no. Well, that, that has nothing to do with the technology. It has all, everything to do with management. Uh, and the right decisions that companies are making around the selection of technology or the or where they need to improve their processes. Uh, and that's what that's really and or whether they have the right data systems, whether they have the right skills to support it. And so we're I, I think that that focus on helping companies make the right decisions, giving them the tools to really assess their capabilities and what they need to do and where in the processes they need to improve is really an important, very important part in, in, in helping them make the right decisions about, uh, right, about the technologies that they're, they're going to be working with. Yeah, an unbiased advisor, a consultant who can say, yeah. we've, we've tried a different, we've seen a, a lot of different solutions, combined technologies, some have worked, some, or some work for these, this sector, some work for that sector. We can say without any, without the company feeling as though they're being sold or being sort of led down a path that helps, you know, the seller, but not necessarily the company. Yeah, exactly. And we're not, uh, we're not selling anybody's technology, yeah. uh, but we're just providing, providing companies with the tools to make good decisions and, um, but also educating them about, uh, what they need to do in order to implement these and deploy these technologies in a profitable way. Mm -hmm. And, and that, those are management decisions as well here. We have 4,500 members. Uh, we have a lot of manufacturers. We have a lot of tech companies as well. Uh, the manufacturers are saying, well, we're not really too sure how these technologies can help us. The tech companies today in advanced technology uh, are saying, you know, what we need to do is provide more use cases. Uh, so to help companies understand not only the benefits of the technology, but how to implement them successfully. And I think, I, I think we're, the programs that we're running uh, bring these two together really nicely. We can, we can work with, with a variety of technology companies to raise the level of education, awareness, uh, you know, demonstrate the use of technologies for manufacturers, we can speed up the adoption and increase the use of these technologies and frankly, help companies grow their business, the tech companies grow their business uh, without necessarily uh, going out there and doing a sales job for any one technology. Right, right. Just the idea of digital transformation or digital twins or whatever it might be. I mean, I'm yeah yeah no exactly and today this is all combined so you know we've one of our projects for instance is uh uh helping defasco digitize its uh, hot ladle steel production and that that 
project involves automation and robotics and materials uh, science and IoT and sensors and artificial intelligence. So, and this is what I mean when you, you know, companies need a solution, but they're not one-off tech solutions. They, they require uh, a real, you know, they're looking for integrated engineering solutions. And, and often uh, the better solutions come from a partnership where, where manufacturers and the tech companies and researchers can all work together to figure out what the best path forward is. Um, I think sometimes manufacturers think that they know the problem and that they know the solution that they want, but really what they, you know, what most, what most manufacturers want is uh, they have an idea of the outcome that they want. Yeah. Um, but sometimes they get into problems when they try to second guess what the solution is or second guess where the problems are. And that's where you really need a, a much more of a partnership and a collaborative approach uh, if you're going to do it well. Mm -hmm. And so many, so many things uh, in the manufacturing space tend, tend to focus on the tangible, the, the component, the, the, you know, the piece of technology that you can hold in your hand. But a lot of times these challenges are more ephemeral, like you say, the workforce mm -hmm. development or as, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about today, the supply chain part of it. The world seems to be in sort of a, a supply chain disruption, perfect storm, I guess, you know, and mm -hmm. stuff we just not not only COVID, but now, uh, you know, the, the, the trucker protests, the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, all of these things are sort of happening at once in a way that are straining many of these behind the scenes kinds of supply uh, network that we don't necessarily know about or see until something happens. And now a bunch of them exactly. are happening all at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, some of the, uh, those problems were there even before COVID, um, you know, we saw, uh, you know, accident, nuclear accidents, we saw, uh, you know, climate events or weather events that, um, that disrupted supply chains, fires in, in, um, you know, one of the reasons why it's so difficult to get uh, microchips today is because uh, not only because of COVID, uh, but because there is a fire in one of the major production centers in Taiwan. So, you know, those, those problems were there before the pandemic, then the pandemic hit and uh, raised all sorts of issues about uh, uh, closures, slowdowns, uh, you know, that disrupted the whole uh, supply chain as, as uh, demand shifted, you know, consumers were buying goods much more as, as they weren't buying many services uh, during the pandemic. And in uh, uh, most of the you know, where, where uh, manufacturing was going at the same time was higher tech and, uh, and, and the, the need for more semiconductors and chips and things like that. Uh, and at the same time, you know, all of this caused disrupting in shipping channels. And, and you know, none of that's going to go away, even as the pandemic kind of subsides uh, here, because a lot of companies are making a lot of money <laughs> from this. You know, the shipping companies yeah. are making record profits, and they're not investing in uh, expanding production because in the back of a lot of people's minds, things are going to go back to normal. And so what they're doing is investing in, you know, downstream services rather than investing in, in additional capacity. So all sorts of reasons why we're going to be, you know, stuck with supply chain issues for a long time to come. Then you've got layer on all the, uh, you know, trade issues by American layer on, 
the, the conflict in, uh, in Russia, growing trade tensions with China. Um, and then on top of that, growing expectations among uh, customers as well as governments that companies are going to be able to trace where products are coming from or where the mm. materials or where the inputs are coming from and uh, the governance behind that, the um, environmental footprint behind this, around the supply chain. So all of, that's, all of that is going to be and it is very, very important in terms of, of how uh, supply chains are being not only disrupted, but are being uh, reconfigured. And at the same time, uh, of course, all of these are challenges, but uh, for companies that have the capability to pivot from one product line to another, on the basis of the you know the capabilities that they have, uh, these are some big uh, big opportunities as well. But you know our, our the the project around uh, supply chain resiliency was really one saying getting at the at the business problem that many many companies have of we had a pretty good view of what's happening among the first tier suppliers, mm. but not necessarily anything below that. And all of these, all of these problems, really require a much more in-depth view of supplier capabilities. I mean, you only need one one small link in that supply chain failing somewhere way down that you'll never see it uh, in order to shut everything down. Like, who knew that there's going to be a fire in Taiwan semiconductor plant? Um, and 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 just the beginning of this. So. Uh, you know, it's really important to have that traceability throughout the supply chain, and and then you know traceability of what. So the the key thing here is really being able to understand what the capabilities of suppliers are, what the the business capabilities, the financial capabilities, the logistics capabilities uh, of uh, of the entire supply chain are, and that's what this uh, that's what this platform is uh, is intended to do, and it's. It's being enabled by a um, uh, really great data company uh, based in Toronto, Think Data, uh, that uh, you know, today we can use things like AI to get a really good view of the, the lay of the land internationally and, uh, and, and the risks uh, involved in, um, uh, in a lot of uh, supply chain transactions. And, uh, and they're working with Palantir, which is one of the best supply chain platforms um, in the world. Uh, here and uh, and we're uh, working with Martin Rea uh, because that's a great uh, a great auto company uh, great example of an extended supply chain that and a company that's facing many of these risks but also you know wants to be able to guard itself uh, protect itself against the risks and manage the risks uh, but also uh, you know looking for opportunities to move in and take over uh, new market opportunities as other suppliers move out or cannot handle the, the demand. Right. Since the world's sort of supply chain is so interconnected and a, a mudslide in, in Chile can have ripple effects uh, in ways that we never could have imagined, the knee-jerk reaction is to sort of bring everything home, right? You know, instead right. we'll make our own ships here. If we can't get them somewhere else, we'll make them here. If we can't get antibiotics or, or masks, we'll make them here. Like, I mean, we're seeing that with the electric vehicle thing that's going on with the with the United States is they want to make them there. And now all of a sudden Canada's like, <laughs> like that's a huge part of our economy. You can't just cut us out of it altogether. 
I mean, it that kind of reactionary nationalistic protectionist, I guess, sort of reaction to these events yeah. seems particularly threatening to an export economy like Canada. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, it really exposes a lot of risk that, uh, facing Canada, and, and it's a real threat uh, to manufacturing here in Canada, for sure. Uh, you know, but I, I think there's a lot of rhetoric, and then there's the reality of manufacturing. Okay. And, uh, you know, the, the reality is that you're not going to bring back uh, successful manufacturing operations at higher cost to make that competitive in North America or in the United States or in Canada. Uh, so we're always going to be looking for uh, foreign suppliers, probably of commodity products or low value products. Uh, so the idea of reshoring uh, is really, you know, um, the, the real, the real, that's not really where the opportunity is and, and, uh, and frankly is, isn't sustainable. The, the real uh, opportunity though is building new manufacturing capabilities or, and, and it's through innovation. Uh, so it is going to be the, the electric vehicle uh, producers and the uh, medical devices and, and sort of the, the higher value customized types of manufacturing products. And, I, and I'm not only talking about kind of final goods producers, it's, the, it's uh, much more high value customized specialized types of components, materials, uh, that uh, where Canada and, and engineering solutions for Canada really excels here. So this is needed. We're not going to, you know, the reality in Canada, and I would say even in North America, is we're not going to produce everything for the Canadian market or the U.S. market internally. Hmm. That, that, you know, try, done it, tried it, doesn't work uh, today. And um, if we are going to be successful as an innovation economy, uh, we need to be able to bring the best from the world. Uh, but the reality is that a lot of what is best is right here. And so I think that's where the opportunity is. It's not in reshoring, but it's in growing um, new manufacturing capabilities uh, here in Canada and better and higher value capabilities. And some of that is not just product, but it's also service. You know, a, a lot of companies are produce a product, but uh, it, it's the ability to, uh, to develop new services uh, around that product. And that's, that's being facilitated because, you know, products, equipment, uh, becoming data platforms, and it's how you use the data to serve your customer better. So I, I think, you know, this is, it, it's certainly the business of manufacturing is changing. The reality is we're still, we need to produce things in Canada because it's a major part of our economy. Uh, and we're not going to survive as a developed, highly developed uh, economy if we don't make things here. And I think, uh, but, but let's, let's step back and say, well, what are the things that we need to make in Canada? And where are the opportunities really to, uh, to make new things uh, that are, you know, we can sell to the rest of, of the world? And, and particularly with respect to our uh, relationship with the United States, how can we make things that the U.S. depends on and that we can't be shut out of the market mm. uh, there as a result of that? And, and just as an example, uh, the electric vehicle um, industry uh, right now, which we look at the entire value chain from minerals to processing uh, to sensors and anodes and cathodes and powertrain and, uh, and materials um, uh, and, and uh, motors, 
uh, as well as you know all of, all the critical parts plus the assembly. Uh, that's you know, and most of the value is in between the minerals and the assembly uh, part of things, and and of course the battery uh, around here and, and design and everything else. Yeah. Look, the reality is that uh, you know every car company is saying that they're going to be producing electric cars uh, within the next 10, 15 years. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, more and more Canadians are, are moving into uh, uh, to buying electric cars. Um, we've got huge infrastructure issues. Where is the electricity going to come from? How are they going to get charged? Where's the hydrogen going to cut, if not battery, where's the hydrogen coming from? Um, you know, how, how will hydrogen be used? Not, that's that's one problem. The other problem is, uh, you know, reality of the situation is that um, uh, manufacturers, the car companies, um, the parts companies, don't have enough product engineers uh, to actually design the components of these cars. And uh, uh, you know, there are other problems here too in, in terms of the in terms of battery life, in terms of uh, how do you, you know, the use of and, and the extraction of minerals, which can be a highly environmentally destructive process. Um, so those are, those are the challenges. Like the, my view, the electric vehicle market is not sustainable in its current form. And, and look, even if Canada has great, great assets to bring to the, the table, like our, our low carbon source of electricity is, is is a fantastic investment asset uh, and, and certainly much better to drive and produce and drive electric cars in Canada than it is in the United States where 80% of their electricity is generated from coal or gas yeah. uh, or oil. So let's, uh, let's, you know, how do we leverage our strengths here? But a large part of this is let's look beyond the current state of the EV market and let's look at how we solve some of these big innovation challenges that need to be solved going forward. And we've got, we've got great capabilities to do that here in Canada. Mm. Um, at, at McMaster University, for instance, uh, the uh, um, Auto Resource Center there is developing a AI platform, the only one in its world that can uh, do rapid prototyping and testing of electric motors and powertrain for electric vehicles. Now that's only one in its world. That's a huge attraction for uh, for the for companies that need to develop electric motors uh, there because it solves the problem that they don't have enough engineers to actually pull this off themselves. So you know those types of capabilities that we have are just we can solve some of these big problems. We just have to look beyond the current situation. And um, you know innovation is great. Uh, but innovation is not just about doing things that even at, at the cutting edge, innovation is looking at where do we, the, the high value innovation, how do we solve the, some of the obstacles and the challenges that uh, current innovation is already, is already facing. Mm -hmm. I think that's where we have to focus as a country. Interesting. So as this relates to like supply uh, chain disruption, my reading of the resiliency platform I'm trying to understand, is this is it a, a more in-depth and co uh, complex version of what 
what risk management in this area has always done, or is this a new approach? I mean, is risk management simply like managing your portfolio, just diversify as much as you can so that if any one uh, supplier caps out and stuff, you have three others to take up the slack? Well, uh, I mean, first of all, you have to be aware of where the risks are. I see. And in, in fact, you have to be aware of the like who is in the supply chain, <laughs> the entire supply chain here. I got you. Okay. So that's uh, so uh, many companies aren't. Then what are the risks? You know, in terms of capability here, and where are the, where are the opportunities? Like, where do you turn to if you have a problem with one supplier? Uh, uh, how do you know that others can step in? Um, and and the other part of this then is in in where the you know where the advanced part. The advanced, I mean, you, know, you can do that in the spreadsheet. Um, the advanced part of this is using AI to actually um, to actually understand, like looking across the entire supply chain and being able to uh, to deal with uh, a lot of data and to be able to uh, do analysis with. Uh, with all of that data and then incorporate a uh, system of prediction uh, in this as well. So, you know, it, it's not not good enough anymore for companies to respond uh, to problems. Uh, there are patterns in, in supply chain that allow companies to predict where problems may arise and to take steps to mitigate the risk before it actually happens, just like in predictive maintenance. Right. And if I understand this, the concept behind the resiliency platform, it's sort of taking the idea of for engineers, right? It's, it's more, it's more sort of like a component or a system in which we have the physical item and we have a digital copy of it. The digital or the physical item is connected to the virtual in a way that the virtual is constantly being updated, being, being, um, yeah, it's, we can we can take apart the virtual to see what's happening inside the physical without actually having to touch the physical. Absolutely, uh, yeah. So this that, is, that's a really good description. But yeah. but also then it does other things that that digital twins also uh, provide, which is testing. Hmm. Uh, there, like a what if uh, under various what if scenarios, but and then redesign uh, here like uh, as well. So. You know, putting developing a digital supply chain twin is uh, you know allows allows a lot of companies to, um, as you say, do things virtually without having to. And I, I don't even know if they could do this. Like I, I don't know if you could just experimentally redesign your supply chain and test it out. Uh, without without technology like this. Yeah, so I mean, there's a predictive, as you say, like a predictive maintenance for the supply chain. Right. Uh, if we can see the kinds of disruptions that have happened over a six or a six six month or a six year kind of way, we might be able to project with some higher level of confidence into the future. Exactly. So first of all, you have to mine lots and lots and lots of data around company capabilities, but also you know external external factors like storms and shipping schedules and you know uh, market conditions so all that that's part of the um, uh, the data analytics that have to be taken into effect or into account but then there, there are also trends in this so is you know as you say if you know that there's going to be a monsoon in India at, at a particular time well maybe you rearrange your supply chain 
Uh, so you're not counting on uh, on shipping or counting on uh, on the supply coming through, and uh, and you know there are all all sorts of extraneous events too. And what you want to do is uh, is test out the resiliency of the supply chain in light of the of these events. Uh, the Russian invasion may be extreme, but uh, pandemic is is one where we've learned over two years uh, what's when what happens when companies uh, you know reduce production because they don't have enough staff uh, and what are some of the factors that are affecting that and uh, where are the trends in the pandemic and where what uh, what uh, parts of the world are, are going to be primarily affected here so you know it's it's not that difficult um, using data technologies today to identify these trends fairly quickly and uh, and to be able to uh, provide, manufacturers with the intelligence they need to adjust uh, to these trends and, and as I say to uh, to embed a little bit of prediction in this uh, so that if um, you know we know that we know that the pandemic isn't over we know that particularly in in um, uh, Southeast Asia and um, in Africa and South America uh, in in China, uh, and in India and, and even in the United States and Western Europe and right around the world, there could be new, new variants and we could be, um, we could be subject to, uh, to more supply chain disruptions as, uh, as a result of that. But, you know, we have the information over the past year that can tell us, well, who, what companies are more resilient than others who can, who can substitute production from one facility to the next. Um, who is in areas of particular risk uh, here, and and then that can give a lot of information to manufacturers that are that need themselves to figure out how do you sustain um, sustain supply uh, even if there are unexpected shutdowns or 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 shutdowns that are expected <laughs> uh, yeah. there, and that you can um, uh, that you can uh, um, prepare for. But, but I guess the other thing is, you know, uh, what this does is, is provide that intelligence and it kind of substitutes for uh, what has usually been the case, which is kind of uh, a response after the fact and building in. Uh, and in the ways, uh, you know, many companies have moved from, you know, building in more redundancy in their inventory and, and redundancy in their suppliers. Uh, many of them are now... Um, moving into uh, manufacturing critical components themselves. Uh, that's what many of the car companies are doing with, um, uh, with semiconductors, for instance, and, and chips. Um, but but that's, that's good. Um, you, you need to build that redundancy in. Uh, but, um, you know, it would be even better if you knew exactly what the risk was, uh, because that, that going in to build redundancy can be pretty expensive uh, here. So, you know, this is this allows uh, a, a supply chain resiliency platform, allows companies to make decisions about where to build in redundancy, where to look for different suppliers and under what conditions and what, and also what companies are capable of pivoting from one, um, one product line to the next to fill, fulfill your supply uh, requirements. So you know, it, it it provides an awful lot of insight, intelligence, and um, and the result of that is uh, hopefully 
that you're more prepared, you, you're in a position to reduce the risk. And uh, along with that, uh, and doing it in a low, as low cost and efficient way as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. So it sounds a little bit like an insurance company's actuarial tables. Yeah. Sort of, sort of assessing a supplier or their, their feeder suppliers and getting a sense of how much of a risk is this, is this particular entity and how much, how much weight can I put on it before something, you know, I mean, that would be really hard for say a small or medium sized manufacturer to sort of make those kinds of exactly this person to those people to, you know, that larger, all the roots that go down into where all their stuff comes from. Exactly. And the benefit of this is not only for Martin Rea, but for their, their entire supply chain, because it gives visibility, much more visibility to everybody in the supply chain uh, about where, uh, where possible risks are, because it's, it's not only the, you know, it's not only manufacturers that are, that are facing risks as a result of their supply chain. Uh, it's also that they're facing risks higher up the supply chain as their customers cut production because of someone else, uh, okay. you know, entirely different. So they need to know, um, how, are their customers prepared to, how well prepared are their customers to manage the risk of, of the entire supply chain uh, mm-hmm. that they have? And, and so there's an awful, uh, you know, a lot, an awful lot of value right across the, the supply chain in terms of greater visibility and a better understanding of where the, where the capabilities are and where the risks um, uh, are as well. So the, for these big data kinds of projects, think data, think data, think data. Think data. Uh, this is what they specialize in. I mean, sometimes it's can be a little difficult to parse out exactly what, what they do, but it sounds, I mean, from my look at it, it sounds as if um, think data is good at just sort of normalizing data, like a library takes a bunch of books and just applies a Dewey decimal system to it. And then Palantir's technology is the scholar sitting in the middle of all that sort of drawing the lines that connect yeah. all of it together. And Martin Ray is the one that is, has all the, has all the supply chain data that, that would need yeah. collating and analyzing. Absolutely. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, I think the other thing is, and, and we've been talking about some of the benefits uh, of this, the other real advantage, uh, particularly for Martin Rea, is how easy it is to integrate their, the data that they're collecting from various ERP systems and, and their data platforms uh, into this as well. So it, it's a, you know, what, we're, what we are uh, developing is a, is a really uh, world-leading a solution that provides all sorts of value to everybody in the supply chain, uh, but you know, mindful that uh, you can have the best tech in the world, uh, but if you can't afford it and you can't manage it, it's worthless. And so, you know, this is a this is a solution that's being engineered to make sure that the costs are as low as as possible and that it's easy as easy as possible to input the the. Uh, the supplier data and the, the purchasing data and the logistics data that's necessary to uh, uh, to make it work. I, I think the other thing is that you know to say that this platform is really, from our perspective at NGen, it's it's an important collaborative uh, project uh, that's certainly going to help uh, Martin Rea. 
but it's a uh, what we're really doing is proving out a platform that can be uh, easily uh, applied to other major manufacturers or other manufacturers that have uh, fairly complex supply chains uh, there too. So I think uh, we're we're developing and learning uh, from this uh, this use case uh, and developing a capability that can be um, that can be deployed in other manufacturing situations too. Mm-hmm. As more and more manufacturers become a part of this, not just Martin Rea, but it becomes more, the model becomes more and more f- informed. That's right. And that's a great thing about, uh, you know, AI platforms that they're continually learning and continually upgrading their capabilities uh, here. So that doesn't, uh, that doesn't stop. And, uh, you know, if that, uh, those capabilities can be applied to other supply chains, other manufacturers, that's, that's great. So are we at the very beginning of sort of putting putting the platform together? At what, yeah. at what stage is it? My understanding is that the platform is, uh, or that the project is uh, is going along really well. I can't tell you exactly what the status is right now. Okay. Uh, it has, has to be complete within a year. Uh, okay. So that's, we know that, but I think, uh, you know, there's a real, especially now, uh, there's a real push on to uh, to get this into, um, into application. Um, here because all of these uh, all these challenges are becoming even greater <laughs> as we speak yeah yeah and and so once they've sort of tested it out and it seems to be working is the idea to open it up uh, presumably to smaller and medium sized who would not have the resources to do this kind of thing on their own sure so what we're developing is a platform then that can be applied to other other format other manufacturers including smaller uh, smaller companies this is helping to prove it out. It's helping to reduce the cost and development costs of the, of the platform uh, itself. Uh, but the other thing we're seeing is, and, and why the collaborative, the collaborative approach was important and why I think our support was important uh, was that even as important, as significant uh, and the value you can see from this, this platform itself, a lot of companies don't, necessarily have the have the budgets and as as important as it is have the budgets to implement a solution like this or actually know know who to go to 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 do it so that's that's where our support uh came in put together the partnership and then now with that platform that is uh is available uh and and the use case built around uh, around martin rea that can be that can be replicated in other uh, in other companies and uh, at a at a at a lower cost because a lot of the development costs have already been uh, incurred in terms of what and 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 the use case is there to demonstrate the value of this and how to operate it in other uh, other uh, other manufacturing companies. So, you know, nobody is going to be uh, have access to Martin Reyes platform, but we've developed a, a supply chain solution here. Uh, that uh, that we hope other other companies in um, uh, in Canadian manufacturing and especially with more complex supply chains would see the benefit of of using it. This model in general could be applied to others if who wanted to take advantage of it, and that would be maybe conf- constructed in a different kind of way. Yeah, that's but, right. But ultimately, this is supposed to be the end goal is to have something that companies other than Martin Rea could take advantage of. Yeah, and a, a, a platform that yeah, a platform that uh, other that can be used across manufacturing and uh, the Martin Ray 
project is is basically uh, from the from the point of view of engine is uh, is the proof case. Uh, here is the user case that and and helping to develop uh, a platform uh, more generally that is that um, you know can be managed can be uh, brought in by other manufacturers at a at a cost that would be lower than if everybody tried to do it themselves. I think uh, automated systems like this are in many cases allowing companies to do things where they don't have the labor, they don't have the skills, they don't have the capabilities uh, to do this all themselves. And uh, you need a pretty big uh, logistics and procurement and supply chain department to do the type of work that this automated platform is doing. Uh, and, and so what we're seeing in manufacturing, I think overall, and, and a lot of this driven by labor shortages is a higher and higher degree of automation, higher degree of innovation than we've ever seen before. And so, you know, the, what we're facing today is a real, uh, a real challenge in terms of being able to bring in, uh, attract people with the, the right skills into manufacturing. And I'm not just talking about, you know, uh, about bringing more people into manufacturing period. I'm talking about bringing people in with a higher degree of technical skill and being able to reskill people in manufacturing to be able to use some of these digital tools. Mm. And, um, you know, when we look out five years ahead, uh, we've got great, uh, great talent in our, uh, in our primary schools and our secondary schools. They, the issue for, uh, for manufacturing across Canada uh, over the next five, 10 years, because these are, the young people that are going to be entering the workforce uh, isn't necessarily to interest them in technical skills. They think young people know technology pretty well. In fact, it's it's a lot of people who don't have the technical skills that are worried that young people don't. You know, don't. It, it's it's uh, young people have the technical skills. They need to apply those skills in advanced manufacturing or or in manufacturing period, and. Uh, uh, you know, that's where I think we need, there's an awful lot of work to be done to uh, convince uh, students and parents and teachers that advanced manufacturing has, uh, you know, a set of careers and, yeah. and, and skilled trades, set of careers that are open for them, that are very attractive, and that if you really want to make a difference in the world, this is where you should be. Yeah. And so that's why we that's why we initiated our, our careers of the future campaign really to attract young people into advanced manufacturing. But we've got to start thinking about this now. And 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 you know, we're facing huge supply chain problems, but that's only in the product supply chain. We're also hu facing huge talent supply chain problems uh, here. And and that's only going to get worse. Uh, as more and more people retire from uh, from manufacturing, and we need to be able to attract young people into tech and into manufacturing and into making things here in Canada. If um, you know, all, all great to say, yeah, we've got to make things here, but uh, who's going to do that? And and even if you know, we've got we've got companies that are fully automated. They're, they're, they've got they're setting up fully automated facilities, lights out facilities. Uh, we've got one in London that we're supporting, but they're still employing 1,700 people to to maintain the facility and to run the facility. Um, you know, so the jobs are changing and they're becoming more high tech. And but we still need lots and lots of young people to think 
very positively about manufacturing. So, you know, I, I in, in, in fact, I would say probably if there is anything that's going to stunt the growth of Canadian manufacturing in the future, it's not going to be the supply chain issues that we're all we've been talking about in terms of product supply chain it's going to be the the supply of of talent and skills uh that um, uh that companies will be able to use you could make an argument that tesla is is it a technology company or is it a manufacturer chicken and egg kind of thing do do we need technical young people to apply those technical skills to manufacturing or does manufacturing need to become more technical such that the technical jobs are there. It's hard for companies that have grown and become what they are through the 70s, 80s, 90s, and now to sort of switch gears and become more tech technically driven. Right. Uh, because like you say, they don't, like I, even for somebody like myself who looks into digital technology, digital tra transformations, trying to figure out which technologies work and which don't, which are going to be the ones to lay your money on and which won't be, is, is a huge debate in the background for people right. who know this stuff inside and out. But, but, you know, I think this goes back to the issue about leadership and management. Okay. Um, you need a company that, is, that gets over the fact that manufacturing, business and manufacturing today is not getting product out the door. It's providing a solution to your customer hmm. and through the capabilities that you have as a company. Sure. So I don't see any, I don't see any difference between tech and manufacturing and service because everything's being, everything's coming together. Yeah. Uh, and for a small company, that doesn't mean, you know, shutting down your, your product line and jumping into technology. What it means is understanding how you add value to your customer and how you can continue to do that and, and enhance the value. Uh, and a great deal of that is going to come from data, uh, but also looking at how you can improve your process and optimize your process. And again, that's going to depend on on your ability to implement technology in a in a really productive way. And so, I would advise I wouldn't advise any manufacturer to jump into technology without a really good understanding of their business model and their business objectives, because that that comes first. Technology is just a tool. Yeah. And uh, but you need the you need the skills and you need the you need the plan uh, first. And if you don't if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to invest in a lot of technology, a lot of ERP systems, uh, a, a lot of 3D printers, a lot of robots, a lot of automation systems and find that, you know, they're sitting idle because you don't know how to operate them. I'm preventing myself from asking all kinds of questions, but we're hitting, hitting the arrow mark and I, I could go on all day, but I, I appreciate you taking the time with us and thank you very much. Okay. Your... Thanks, Mike. Uh, just uh, ask everybody if, uh, take a look at uh, our website, ngen.ca and uh, particularly careersofthefuture.ca. Uh, yes. And look, uh, we're open to anybody who can contribute to advanced manufacturing, become part of our network. Thanks, thank Mike. You. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the Design Engineering Podcast's other episodes at www.design-engineering.com slash podcast, or subscribe to the podcast via the major streaming services, including Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And finally, this episode was brought to you by IGUS, a manufacturer of self-lubricating plastic components. IGUS uses triple-logically optimized polymer blends to design its bearing materials. 
These blends consist of base materials for wear resistance, reinforcing fibers for high forces, and embedded solid lubricants for dry running operation. Visit igus.ca to browse through products or to contact an expert.